But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this holy word. We pray that you would bless it to our hearing and understanding this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, these seven verses I just read took place on the Sea of Galilee when our Lord and his disciples were crossing over at night. And it tells us about a great miracle that our Lord performed when he calmed the storm in the sea in a moment. It's one of the best known stories from the life of Jesus Christ. Certainly one of the most spectacular stories we find in the Gospels. In fact, there are a few miracles Jesus performed that were more likely to impress his own disciples than this one. And I say that because at least four of Christ's disciples were, of course, fishermen. Peter, Andrew, James, and John. And those young men certainly knew what those storms on the Sea of Galilee were like. At certain times of year, because of the geography of the sea and its proximity next to some high cliffs, at certain times of the year, that sea, which is really more of a large lake, I think you probably know that, it's quite famous for its severe winds and the sudden storms that arise. It can become a very dangerous place, the same way it is today if you ever go over to Israel. A very dangerous place if you're on the water at the wrong time. And for this reason, it's hard to imagine a better place, a better circumstance with a better group of men for the Lord to demonstrate his power over creation. Now, what does this passage teach us? I, I can think of at least five points. There's probably 20 more that we can talk about. The first one is critically important, and that is that being a follower of Jesus Christ does not exempt us from trials. Being a follower of Jesus Christ does not exempt or excuse you from going through trials. If you consider the setting of the story again, here were the disciples. They had been obediently following Christ wherever he went. Here they were doing their duty. Here they were attending to Jesus, listening carefully to his teaching. They had just had a very busy day of ministry together. They were showing the world by their actions that they believed in Jesus, that they loved Jesus, that they were not ashamed to be called followers of Jesus. They were exactly where they were supposed to be, doing exactly what they were supposed to do. And now all of a sudden they were in severe trouble, being tossed around in a boat, in danger of being drowned. Now that's a lesson we should pay attention to as Christians. If we are Christians, we must not expect our journey to heaven to be a smooth path. We shouldn't count it a strange thing, as James tells us, to endure suffering, loss, rejection, disappointment, hatred, pain, and other trials. We should not be surprised by that as Christians. 
As young people, you should especially <coughs> take that to heart. What does it mean to follow Christ? It means to take up my cross. Take up my cross and follow him. The cross is a symbol of shame. The cross is a symbol of suffering. That is the great paradigm for the Christian life. It is not send money to me and you will be wealthy. It is follow Christ, take up your cross, and endure trials just as he did, like Savior, like people. God has promised us forgiveness of our sins. God has promised us the grace to endure in our journey to heaven. God has promised us eternal glory and an inheritance that we share with Christ in the last day. But he has never promised that there will be no troubles and afflictions for you as a Christian in your life. In fact, it is exactly because he loves you. This is kind of hard to wrap your mind around. It is exactly because he loves you that he sends trials into your life. It is an evidence that you are one of his. It is an evidence that he is calling you to endure, in part, what he endured as well. It is by afflictions that God appoints for us that the Lord teaches us many precious lessons and prepares us for the life that is to come. Without those trials, without those afflictions, we would never learn the lesson. Nobody wants to have difficulties in life. I don't wake up in the morning saying, oh boy, I can't wait to find trouble today. But I take heart in this thought that God has inevitably appointed trials for me to endure, and I should embrace them and understand that they are for my good. Because it is by affliction that Jesus teaches us our own weakness, for one thing. How dependent we are upon him and upon his strength to endure in this life. It's by affliction that Christ reveals to us our sinfulness, something else we don't really enjoy too much, but which we need to understand. It is by affliction that he purifies our hearts. It is by affliction that he makes us ready for heaven. So when the day of resurrection finally comes, brothers and sisters, all the faithful in Christ are going to say, it was good for me that I was afflicted. We will thank God for our trials. We may not understand how to thank him for every trial in this life. We will certainly... In the end, looking back on our lives, understand they were for a very good purpose. And we will be able to say what we know to be true, and that is that all things have worked together for me, for my good, in Christ. Well, what else does this important passage teach us? We learn in the second place that Jesus Christ is very much, really and truly, a man like us, a human being just like us. We're told in these verses that when the storm began and the waves began to beat against the ship, where was Jesus? He was back in the back of the ship asleep. What does that say to us? It tells us that he had a body like ours. 
a body that could hunger, a body that could thirst, a body that could feel pain, and a body that could feel weary and tired and needing sleep. And it's no wonder that Jesus needed sleep at this point. When we read the previous verses, we understand that he had been very diligent in doing his father's will that day. He had been traveling around, not on horses, but on foot. He had been preaching to great multitudes of people in the open area. You know, I, sometimes on Sunday I'll do two or three sermons, and it wipes me out. But Jesus had been doing this all day long, preaching to large crowds. I don't know how long he went. But it's no wonder that when evening had come and his work was finished that he fell asleep. And that he was able to stay asleep even despite all the trials his disciples were going through. All the commotion, all the storm noises, all this. And he's dead asleep. That shows he was very tired. And that's a lesson you should mark well. And that is that the Savior in whom the Bible calls us to trust is as really and truly a human being as we are. He is as really and truly a human being as he is God in flesh. Why is that helpful? Because when you go through those trials that he has promised, you can understand and take heart in this that he is sympathetic. He knows the weakness of our bodies. He has felt them. He has felt pain. He has felt rejection. He understands what we mean when we cry to him for help. When we feel downcast. When we feel exhausted. He is exactly the savior we need. Because he can understand and because he can sympathize with our trials. Hebrews 4, 4 verse 15 is a great verse. It says, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Isn't that great? That's one of the most encouraging thoughts in the whole Bible. We have a Savior who is all-powerful, and yet one who also understands the trials we go through, even the greatest trial of all, which is death. Third point we learn from this passage is that our Lord Jesus Christ is Almighty God. Yes, he is a person just like we are. But in those verses, we see him doing things that are impossible for any ordinary man. He speaks to the winds, and they obey him. I've never met anybody that could do that. He speaks to the waves, and they submit to his command. He turns a storm into calmness with a few words, immediately. Peace, be still, and it was still. And the reason he can do these things is because he is the creator. The words came from the one who created all things. 
Jesus is the creator of the world. And the elements know the words, the voice of their master. And like obedient servants, they immediately submit to his will. Now that's a lesson we should carefully store up in our minds. That encourages us, realizing he is a human being just like us, encourages us that he can sympathize with everything we go through in this life. And being fully divine encourages us because we know with him nothing is impossible. There is no trial that he cannot instantly stop. There are no storms of life, no matter what difficulties he may call us to live through, that he can't tame. There is no conscience that is so disturbed with sin that he cannot speak peace to it and make it calm. We need never despair. What we need to do is bow our pride before the Lord. That's what we need to do. And realize we are not in control at all, that he is in control. And then to come to him as a humble sinner, as somebody unworthy, utterly unworthy, which is what we are, which is what the Bible says we are. We are utterly unworthy of such a Savior who is like us in every respect without sin and yet is completely unlike us in another sense, that he is God in the flesh. You see, why is this hell? Because we don't need to worry about reaching heaven if we have committed ourselves to his care. We need to worry about getting to heaven if we're trying to make it on our own way, following our own path, trying to make it on our obedience and so on. And surely we are called to be obedient. But ultimately we need to entrust everything to Christ because he is our Lord and we bow before him. And it's a safe person to trust him because he has the power to carry us through every trial of life. So what if he has called you to a difficult trial like he did his disciples here? Ultimately, it doesn't matter how difficult it might be. Because if you trust in Christ, you're in the ship with him and you're safe. Just like the eight people who went on the ark were saved. That ark was a type of Christ. They were saved in Christ. He carried them through the judgment. The one who was for us is greater than all those things that may come against us. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. <coughs> Now, if you're familiar with the story of Jonah, there's something else I wanted to point out here. If you know that story of Jonah, especially the first chapter of Jonah, the story of Jonah being called by God to go to Nineveh, and instead he hops on a boat and heads the other way to Tarshish, which is probably modern Spain. So he's heading the opposite way. He didn't want to do God's work. And a fierce storm began to beat on the boat. 
And where was Jonah? He was asleep. Here in Mark 4, a fierce storm comes up. And Jesus is asleep. Jesus is quite a different sort of prophet, though, isn't he? He's the one who does all of God's will. Every bit of God's will. I have come to do the will of my Father. But he's not like Jonah in that respect at all. He was doing God's will. But nevertheless, here's the prophet on the ship, and he is also asleep. The ship is taking on water. And who else is on that ship? Experienced sailors. Because in Jonah's time, these were experienced sailors on their ship. Same thing going on here. Men who had probably endured some of these sudden storms in Galilee. Men who understood what it was like to be on a ship. And yet they were afraid. They were afraid they were going to die. Just like the sailors in Jonah's day on his ship. Finally, in desperation, the men in the boat wake Jesus up. And they rebuke him for sleeping in the midst of such danger. Go back to read Jonah and you'll see the same kind of thing going on. They come and they find Jonah and say, what are you doing sleeping? Wake up. There are a lot of similarities between this event and the first chapter of Jonah. And honestly, brothers and sisters, I think we're supposed to think that way. I think the connections are very clear. If you're a student of Scripture, you will get that. You will see what I'm saying. This story is familiar. We've seen something like this before in the biblical history. But what happened the first time in Jonah's day? What happened? In the first event, in the Jonah's day, they woke him up and he came out. And you remember what he told them? Throw me in the sea and the storm will end. Just throw me overboard and everything will be okay. He knew why this storm hit the ship. The Lord was coming after him. And I think at that point he thought he would just rather die than go back and do the Lord's will. Honestly, that's how bad Jonah was. He was in a bad place. But he figured... Throw me in the water and then God won't have anything more. He won't be upset with you anymore. Of course, the, the sailors weren't too interested in hearing that. And they tried everything they could to make it through the storm. But the storm got worse until finally they threw Jonah in. And what happened? Somebody tell me. What happened when they threw Jonah in the storm? Immediately stopped. Now remember what the men thought? Remember what those sailors thought? They feared the Lord, and they began to worship God. So at the command of the prophet to throw him in the sea, the Lord God, the Lord God calmed the storm in an instant, and the sailors became very fearful. What happens here? At the command of Jesus himself, the storm stops in an instant. And the sailors on the ship, the experienced disciples of Jesus who had been on this Sea of Galilee many times, what, how did they react? They became very fearful. In fact, this episode in Mark ends with a question, just as the book of Jonah does. 
Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? You see, if you connect those two stories, it's inevitable. The Lord who stopped that storm in Jonah's day is the same Lord who just stopped this storm. This is a revelation that Jesus Christ is God. He is the Lord. He is the same God who stopped the storm in Jonah's day. He is the same God who answers the prayers of desperate, fearful people. He is the same God who mercifully saves people from being destroyed. He is not merely a prophet like Jonah. He is the divine prophet. He is the Son of God. He is the one with all power over heaven and earth. That's the Savior you trust in. The one who is all powerful. There's another lesson we learned from this passage. Our Lord Jesus Christ is very patient and kind in dealing with people. He is very patient and kind. We see the disciples in this episode demonstrating a weakness of faith. They are giving in to terrible fears. When the trial hits, they forget their master's miracles. They forget the way he had been caring for them. All of that went out of their minds in their panic and their fear. Their fear of dying. <coughs> the only thing they could think about at that point was their troubles. And so what do they say when they wake Jesus up? Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? What do they do? They're rebuking Jesus. They were doubting his love. They lost their minds, really. They lost <coughs> their trust. But how does Jesus respond to that? Because I'm, I'm tired of dealing with you weak people who can't seem to get a clue of who I am. I can't stand the fact that you are not willing to trust in me and that you would actually have the nerve to doubt my love. No, how does he respond? Here he is presented with his own disciples, his own beloved, his closest friends on this earth. He's confronted with their weaknesses. And how does he deal with them very gently, very tenderly? He doesn't threaten to abandon them because of their unbelief. He simply asks some pointed questions. Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? He asks diagnostic questions that ask them to look at their own selves. And this is a lesson we really need to know. Again, Jesus is very sympathetic and he is very full of mercy. Mercy. You know the difference between grace and mercy, right? Grace is getting something we don't deserve. Mercy is not getting something that we do deserve. Not getting something that we do deserve. And Jesus is very merciful to his disciples. 
he could have he could have responded in a very sharp way. But that's where we read, for instance, in Psalm 103, verse 13, it says, As a father pities his children, even so the Lord pities those who fear him. There is no trial in life, there is no failure that you could ever experience, no sin that you could ever get messed up with, that you couldn't go to the Lord humbly and trust that he would deal with you well. If you confess your sins, what happens? First John 1 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He is a merciful Savior. He doesn't deal with us according to our sin. He doesn't reward us according to our iniquities. He understands very well how weak we really are. Remember the disciples that Jesus called to pray with him in the garden? And remember what kept happening? How they kept falling asleep? And you go, how could they keep falling asleep? What kind of a disciple is that? What kind of right-hand man is that with Jesus? And you know what that was showing? It was showing their weakness, and it was showing our weakness. <laughs> Anytime I want to get tempted to look at the disciples and say, what a bunch of knuckleheads. All I have to do is understand they represent what I am. Somebody who's weak in the flesh. Somebody who sometimes fails in his trust in God. Sometimes a person who doubts what's really going on. Someone who sometimes doubts that God loves me, even though I know what God's Word says. I know what the Bible teaches me. Jesus loves me, this I know for the what? For the Bible tells me so. I know these things, and yet I doubt them. We all go through periods like that. Why is this happening to me? We don't understand why trials like this end. That's where faith comes in. That's why he says, how is it that you have no faith? How is it that you have no trust? How is it that when this big... <coughs> Disaster that's now threatening your life comes. How is it that you had no faith that God was looking after you? Why did you immediately interpret this as God is against me? God, I'm going to die now. And that's another lesson we really need to know. Jesus is very sympathetic and full of mercy. He bears with us. He won't cast us away. He loves us to the end. He raises us up when we fall. He restores us when we sin. His patience, like his love, is a patience that passes understanding. And it is our Lord's glory that he passes over many shortcomings in your life and in my life and in every Christian's life. And he bears with us despite those weaknesses and despite those failings. What a wonderful Savior we have. And one last point before we close. Let's leave these verses with this comforting and encouraging thought. Jesus has not changed. He has not changed. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His heart for his people is the same as it was then. He bears with our weaknesses. He still has power to still the storm. He's exalted at the right hand of God in heaven, but he is still sympathizing with us here on earth. He is almighty God, and he is still patient with us. 
as he was with those disciples. Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. That is his glory. So, brothers and sisters, let's learn from this story again today. Let's learn, too, that we should be more charitable. That we should look at how Jesus treats us and learn how to treat other people as well. That is a big principle in the scripture. Why do we forgive? We pray the Lord's Prayer every Sunday at our church. Why do we forgive? Because he forgives us. Why do we love others? Because he loves us. Why am I patient toward my brother who is hurting and struggling and maybe sinning? Because Jesus is patient with me when I am hurting and struggling and sinning. So let's learn from that today. Let's learn how he deals so gently with his disciples so that we can learn how to treat one another with the same love and patience. People will err in many ways. People will always disappoint us in this world, just as they did toward Jesus. But if Jesus still receives them, so can we. If Jesus bears with people, so should we. I think we should also learn to be more hopeful as well. We may be very weak, and we are. We may be very frail. We may be very unstable as these disciples were. But if we come to Christ in prayer, and we believe in Him, and we call upon His name, He receives us. He is a friend of sinners. He receives us by faith. We aren't as perfect as we're going to be in heaven, not nearly so. But with Christ as our Savior, our sympathetic high priest, the Almighty Lord of heaven and earth, we will make it. Because He will carry us there despite our sins and our weakness. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father and our God, we thank You for providing us the greatest gift of all, a Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ, that You loved us and sent Him into the world to save us from all of our sins, to carry us to heaven, to single-handedly defeat all the enemies that we have, sin, death, and the devil, to triumph over them all on our behalf. And truly, Lord, in a great way, we as Christians are merely spectators of what Jesus has done for us. And yet, Lord, you call us now to follow us. You call us to bear with the sins of others and bear with the, with the weaknesses of others and to forgive them just as you forgave your disciples. You call upon us to trust in you, just as you called the disciples to trust in you. And show them by your miraculous power who you really are. And Lord, as we read this story, we, we understand who you really are. You are God. You are the Lord. You are the creator of heaven and earth, just as the Bible teaches us repeatedly. And we bow before you this morning. We thank you for being a faithful Savior to us. We thank you for being our all-powerful Savior. That despite our own weaknesses, will carry us safely to the other side. Thank you for this time in your word. Bless us now. Bless your people this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.